Well, there's a new ecumenism officer in the Catholic Diocese of Killaloo, and I'm delighted that Dr. Sue O'Brien has joined us in the studio now. Uh, good evening, Sue. Thank you for coming in. Oh, very nice to see you, Stephen. Thank you. I, I just wonder, what is an ecumenism officer? What will you be doing, do you think? Well, ecumenism is the word that we use to, to talk about putting all the different churches, all the different church communities together. So it's encouraging Catholics and Anglicans and other Protestants or Russian Orthodox or Greek Orthodox people or, uh, to, to do work together. An acknowledgement perhaps that we've got or far more in common than we have stuff that keeps us apart. So that's the, the broad understanding of it. And what ecumenism or ecumenical officers do in different dioceses slightly depends on the context. So I've done that job before in Sussex and Surrey in England, where I understood the context quite well. And that was very enjoyable when I was working for the Diocese of Arundel and Brighton. And I'm getting to know the Diocese of Killaloo, which hardly had arrived when the Diocese of Killaloo was locked down. So I've still got quite a lot to learn. Mm. And, and so is this a, a full-time role? I mean, how, how do you see it developing? Um, it's not a full-time role. At the moment, the brief is that I can do what I would like, provided I make sure that I am part of the inter-church cooperation around Christmas, around harvest and around the week of Christian unity in January. So certainly I would be doing that. At the same time, there is an ecumenical officer for the whole of the Catholic Church in Ireland and he has joined me up with some very interesting webinars on asylum seekers and refugees, which is obviously something that churches together in Britain and Ireland are working together quite a lot on and, and we've heard from uh, people from the Jesuit Refugee Society and people from the Church of Scotland, people from the Church of Ireland, people from the Church of England and the Church in Wales on the various different things that are happening around asylum seekers and refugees in, in the light of the Covid crisis. That's something that obviously the, what the, the wider church is looking at. So you'll be there to support and encourage the parish priest in working ecumenically, will it be? Or will it all be at diocese level, do you think? I think ecumenism is something that people's heart should be in. Now, in the Diocese of Killaloo, this has always been a very happy environment for ecumenical endeavour. So I think that's a, a very good place to start. And certainly my husband, who is an Anglican minister, has been given a fantastic welcome by Father Tom at Ennis Cathedral. And our son, prior to the virus, was singing in Viquois at Ennis Friary. So um, we, we feel both at a sort of personal level that ecumenism seems to be quite an easy thing to think about and you're embracing it personally uh, I, I would embrace it personally and uh, any parish priests who would like to embrace it personally as well that's fantastic and the same thing goes of course for lay people who sometimes feel strongly about ecumenism and as i say it, it is where your heart is for some people it, it's not really where their heart is and that's also fine actually. Mm. so let's go back and just let's follow your career through, really. You, you left school, you went to university. Where were you at school? So I was at school in London, 
And then I went to university in London, I'm quite a London-centric person. And then I worked in advertising in right. London. Right. Uh, and then I worked in the city of London. What were you doing in the city? I was advising commercial clients on the acquisition of property, on leases, right. on rent renewals, oh, right, right. rent reviews, that right, sort of thing, right. um, and, and the disposal of their properties as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so quite a high-powered job then. Very exciting at the time. Um, it was in the late 80s and early 90s, and it was a very exciting time to be working in the City of London, which was a very sort of lively and exciting place. So it was good fun. Good. And, and where did you go after that? Uh, very peculiarly, I then went to go and teach at the University of Bournemouth on the basis of my previous commercial experience. And Bournemouth specialised in vocational degrees, and I'd spent five or six years working in advertising and marketing and understanding market research and that sort of thing. So I taught students about that, right. which was a revelation for me, actually, because I discovered that I absolutely love teaching people. I really really loved it and I loved my students and thoroughly enjoyed. Good. So you were teaching there for some time. Is that where you met your husband? And I met Kevin there and Kevin also had been working in advertising and he also had rather peculiarly ended up in the University of Bournemouth lecturing much the same students on marketing and marketing communications and that sort of thing. And so we met and, and then we got married and left when I was pregnant with our first boy, very heavily pregnant with our first boy when I did my last job for the university, which was doing a big presentation to Chase Manhattan Bank on some research that we'd done. <laughs> um, and I was quite frightened I might have a baby actually there. I mean, he was born days after this, this thing. And then we packed up shop and, and went off to Theological College because Kevin was training. And we've heard Kevin, uh, when he first came, I interviewed him on yeah. Beyond Belief, yeah. and we know that you were quite instrumental in him coming to faith. Um, when we got engaged, Kevin was, I think he would have described himself as an atheist, and probably, I think he was probably an agnostic. But I had never met an atheist who always wanted to talk about religion. He was always <laughs> arguing with me what a load of rubbish I believed in. So when we actually, we got engaged on Christmas Day, when he asked me to marry him, it did cross my mind, I hoped he wouldn't mind if we got married in church. And, you know, I didn't want him to do anything that was hypocritical. But on the other hand, I wanted to get married in church because I have always gone to church. And that's always been an important part of my life. So... He agreed that we could get married in church, provided he could go to church and see if he could stomach it. <laughs> and, and then we went to church mm -hmm. and then he came out converted, which was most extraordinary. Yeah. Um, and the, I think somebody said to me, so how was that for you? And I said, well, the really odd thing was that I wasn't very surprised. Um, so uh, he, he then whisked you off with baby. So uh, when Pat was... 12 weeks old, we sold our house and moved into the slightly less attractive student accommodation at the Theological College. And um, he, he trained for two years and we had another baby while we were there. 
And actually, I loved the Theological College. I mean, it was quite a culture shock, but it was actually fantastic. And later on, when the children were older and all that, um, I, I loved it sufficiently, but I spent 10 years being a governor of that theological college because it was so worthwhile. You never felt the urge to actually become ordained oh, no. yourself? Absolutely. Really? Not. really? No. Being ordained is, is definitely a calling. It's a vocation and it's definitely not my vocation. There's, there's absolutely no doubt. I think I'd be awful, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I can't see it, no. So, perhaps unusually, I mean, you're an Anglican. Yes. I don't know, are you a high Anglican? Would you call yourself a, um, an Anglo-Catholic, even? Yeah, I mean, what I was brought up, the church that I was brought up to go to is a church called St Stephen's Gloucester Road, which is a famously Anglo-Catholic church. Very, 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 uh, what people would call high, um, incense, bells. So, I suppose we are always comfortable with what we're very familiar with as a child and so I'm very comfortable with that sort of thing but as you get older I think those things matter less so I think I would say I was sort of cradled in Anglo-Catholicism but I think really I'm just an Anglican now and I don't really mind how it no, and and importantly, the dioceses, the two dioceses that you work for, they don't seem to mind either. Uh, that was very kind of them, very kind both of Bishop Kieran and of Bishop Finton, um, uh, that they think it'll be OK. Uh, my sister is married to a Catholic, and she's older than me, so Christopher has been part of our family since I was nine, so I suppose that was part of it. I think the Catholic Church has such a, an enormous amount to offer all of us, of all Christians. They're so embracing of people's difficulties, of people's brokenness. They're so profoundly good at prayer. And so I'm very happy with the Catholic Church in the Catholic context, mm. as well as, you know, the church I was brought up in. I suppose, in a way, I am quite ecumenically minded because I think that we're all much more similar than we are different. And mm. I think it's very important that we are understanding of all of us as a Christian family and our brothers and sisters are all our brothers and sisters. Mm. And it doesn't really matter if they're orthodox or... So you spent seven years in the Catholic Diocese of Arundel and Brighton. Uh, what were you doing there? In Sussex and Surrey, it, it, they had a paid pastoral team. Right. Um, and, and so, so there was a, a job. Um, and I started there as um, social action advisor, um, which was something I, I think I had some experience at. Social action is, is encouraging parishes and laity to get involved with working with whatever it is that, that they feel called to do, but it might be carers, dementia, mental health, homelessness, asylum seekers and refugees, and different people find different groups particularly speak to them, I mm. think. Um, and so I did that for four years, and my ecumenical colleague then retired, and it had occurred to me by then that doing all this social action, and a lot of people do social action ecumenically anyway, it seemed silly that we were trying to go up a sort of Catholic-only alley or an Anglican-only mm. alley, you know, vis-a-vis -vis 
this is the Anglican Soprano, this is the Catholic Soprano, it's a bit ridiculous. So it seemed to me like an obvious progression to then work ecumenically. And I was very fortunate that the bishop also agreed and and thought that it was as well. Um, And while you were working at the diocese, you were studying for your PhD. I was, while I was working at the diocese, and prior to working at the diocese, I was doing a PhD. Uh, It took me quite a long time. So I was doing a PhD anyway. And then I realised that working at the diocese meant that I was desperate to have, you know, two or three days on the trot that I could actually devote to the doctorate. And I just wasn't getting that. Right. In theory, I should have been able to get that. But actually, in reality, I wasn't. And I wanted to finish the doctorate. So... I stopped working at the Diocese of Arundel and Brighton so that I could finish my doctorate. And then while I was finishing the doctorate, I was invited to do some teaching at the University of Chichester on philosophy and ethics. And so I started doing that and finished off the doctorate um, sort Mm. of together. Because you've already said that that's a great love of yours, teaching. I do love teaching. And, And did you do more of that? Yes, I did. So I taught applied ethics and bioethics, which which I very, very much enjoyed teaching, and the Holocaust, which is the area that my doctorate's in, and a a sort of applied ethics uh, course that referenced human rights and uh, climate change, and another course, which I've just forgotten. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway... Anyway, yeah. uh, lovely, lovely students. Yeah. Philosophy students are very, very nice people. <laughs> uh, they are. <laughs> good, good. And, and uh, so you, you bring a wealth of experience, as we've heard, you know, a full range of, of uh, occupations, really. Uh, but it's clear that teaching is, is one of your loves. Do, do you see it, your role that you're taking up now, do you see that as sort of an educational role the, as well? The, yes, there's definitely an element of teaching in any kind of pastoral role in in a diocese and I find it slightly unnerving being interviewed for radio but in fact I quite enjoy public speaking so they're two very different things Mm. so yes I mean I think you do do a certain amount of, of that sort of thing if you are an ecumenical officer you might yeah, have to yeah. Now, we've covered much of your life, but there's one thing that we only touched on, and that's your husband and your family and what you're doing now. People will know Kevin has hit the ground running in Ennis, yes. and uh, he is the rector of St Columbus Church in Bindon Street in Ennis. And just as he was appointed, the lockdown came. Yep. So we're, we're now emerging from that. Yep. And so who is living with you in the rectory? So we're very lucky because living with us in the rectory at the moment, um, that's been really lovely for me. Uh, are our two boys and one is at university in dublin and obviously that is shut at the moment and i think his teaching will remain online certainly until january or possibly for the rest of the year they're not sure so uh, he's got exams online submitting stuff online all that sort of thing and he may or may not go back to Dublin. I think he'd like to, but we'll see. You know, it's very difficult at the moment. It's a very uncertain time. He's been quite good about having his life disrupted. And then our other boy lives with us anyway, so it's lovely that 
we've got him living with us and his whole thing has been disrupted as well because he started in January at the Limerick School of Music learning how to make musical instruments and he's mm-hmm. making a violin at a very high level. He's got a lovely group of people in the workshop who help him and he was really enjoying that and then of course uh, lockdown came. Mm-hmm. So there is sitting in Limerick, a partially completed violin (laughs) that hopefully uh, Fergus will be going back to. We've just said, yes, please, you know, he's going back. I think whenever term begins, which is sometime around August or September, but again, they're having to, you know, see how things go. Uh, And of course, you're not strangers to West Clare. No. The boys feel very at home here because we bought a house in West Clare, near Ballinacalli, when Patrick was three and Fergus was one and a half. So as far as they were concerned, holidays were always in Ireland. And because the nature of Kevin's job is that we move around a lot and we live in church accommodation, not our own house, I think the boys have always seen our house in Lachine as their home, as their proper home. So they were very, very excited. When I mean, Fergus particularly, because he lives with us, was particularly excited that we were coming to live in Ireland. And I think... Patrick thought it would be um, nice that mm. he just hops on a bus if he wants to come back for the weekend and, you know, it's, he doesn't have to fly and he doesn't have to mm. get the money together for fly, flights and all that sort of thing. So, Susan, thank you so much for joining us this evening. It's been fascinating to hear more about you and about the job that you're about to take on. And so, thank you. And we look forward to seeing you working in the Diocese of Killaloo and might even see you in the Diocese of Limerick and uh, Killaloo in the Anglican side as well. I I think you'll find me there at church on a Sunday. (laughs) (laughs) Good. Well, I look forward to that. Thank you very much indeed. Thank Thank you. Thank you very much, Stephen.